and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach, and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hi there, and welcome to episode six. I recorded this episode back last November when I was optimistic enough to think that with the news of the vaccine, we'd be through the worst of what the pandemic had to throw at us. But as we find ourselves in the middle of yet another lockdown with cases steadily on the increase, it's another reminder of just how important it is to take one day at a time. When I first started learning about podcasting at the Podcasting Fellowship, another shameless plug for Seth Godin and the Akimbo Workshops, the advice, as ever, was to practice, 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 and start close to home. So this week, I'm sharing a conversation I recorded with my mum, who's one of the most community-spirited people I know. We talk about the challenge of changing the status quo and not always accepting the way things are as the only option available. And true to form, when I phoned her last week to tell her she was up next on the podcast, she was busy helping a family who'd recently moved into the village and been told there wasn't room for their little boy at the primary school five minutes walk from their house. So we'd have to travel six miles to the nearest town, past two more schools to go to school. It just doesn't make any sense, she said. And if I know Sheila, she'll have that problem sorted before lockdown is over. We also talk about how small gestures, a friendly phone call or an offer of help with shopping can make a real difference and help generate a sense of community and connection that I think we're all craving right now. And talking of small acts of kindness, I was on the receiving end of one last week. A lovely friend of mine, Nikki, sent me a message to say that she's in a WhatsApp group with some of her neighbours and someone suggested they share their favourite books and podcasts to keep them company during lockdown. And guess what? Her friend Linda shared this podcast. That was the first feedback I'd heard from someone who I'd never met before. And I don't think that feeling will ever get old. So I'm not sure if you're listening today, Linda, but I really appreciate you for taking the time to listen and also for sharing it with your friends and to Nikki for helping to make my day. A big thank you. So now I'll hand you over to my mum, who, as you'll hear, couldn't resist challenging the rules and chose two pieces of music. And listen out for the bit in the middle where my dad calls out in the background and she shouts back, I'm Zooming with Catherine. I couldn't resist leaving that in for anyone who knows Clive and Sheila, as I think they might find it quite funny. But what comes across most strongly, I hope, is her instinct to think about others, especially at a time like this. Enjoy. This season of the Collective Wisdom podcast is brought to you by Between Tracks Media Productions. Chris Hall Franzkowiak set up Between Tracks with a mission to make the process of setting up and producing a podcast as easy and pain-free as possible. He does all that and more with his super organized system for file sharing, his tips and advice on everything from which equipment to buy to how to get the best sound quality. The service at Between Tracks is amazingly professional, reasonably priced, and above all, Chris is just a really nice guy to work with. I think it's fair to say that without his help, there wouldn't be a Collective Wisdom podcast. Wisdom, as we all know, is about understanding your own limitations, and mine on the technical side were pretty high. As ever, there's a link in the show notes for his website and contact details. Thanks so much to Chris at betweentracks.com.
My guest today is an amazing woman who's very close to my heart. Sheila was born in 1946 with pyloric stenosis, a condition that means that without surgery, the baby wouldn't survive. Her mother had already lost two babies, and Sheila is one of the earliest generations to survive the diagnosis. Maybe that's why she's always been an activist and a doer, someone who rolls up her sleeves and gets on with the job. Community is her passion. Sheila worked for over 30 years as a community pharmacist and probably saved lives with her wise advice and dedication to the job. When she wasn't at work, the real work started. Raising four daughters, being a governor at the local school they attended and chairing the parish council in Ramsbury. Ten years ago, Sheila and a small, dedicated team set up a local community charity shop which has been raising over £10,000 a year ever since, all of which goes back into the community she loves all from other people's cast-offs. Sheila is part of the reason that the little village of Ramsbury in Wiltshire has allotments, gardening is another of her passions, a link service that helps the elderly with transportation, and has won awards for being the best-kept village. Over the years, she's been involved in countless community events, from horticultural shows to jubilee celebrations all of which, no doubt, led to her being awarded a British Empire Medal for services to the community in 2016, the year she turned 70. I know that what touched her most about that award wasn't the recognition from the Queen, she is after all a staunch Republican at heart, but the file that was presented to her by the people in the village that nominated her for the award, that contained so many letters of appreciation and thanks. She was really blown away. As my mum, she's taught me lots of things. But the thing that really stands out in everything she does is that amazing people always find a way to help others. So Sheila, thanks so much for taking the time and agreeing to be on the podcast and coming along to share a bit of that wisdom with us today. God, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> Good, that's the idea. That's my small act of kindness. Right. So tell me, where do you think that passion for community and helping others comes from? I think some of it came from my father. He was an active trade unionist, not a, a striking trade unionist, because strangely enough, he was self-employed. But um, he was treasurer of the Electrical Trades Union in Sunderland for some of my childhood. And he tended to get involved in a very minor way in things like when they did the coronation celebrations in the streets and they used to have people in for parties and things. God knows how you have a party when you're teetotal, but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask. But he was always a very, he had to support his parents from a very early age because his father had a stroke when he was around 30 wow. and never worked again. And my father left work, left school, I think at about 16, he had a job as a butcher's boy at one point. And then he joined the electricity board and he was an electrician. And he, he obviously had more about him than a lot of people because he then, and this was the early fifties, started his own business as an electrical contractor. And that was what he did all his life. But he was always willing to help people and sort of get involved if people needed help. And I think, I can only think that's where it came from. I don't know. Yeah. Um, just and you obviously of... get a sense of, 
you know, real gratification for it yourself, you know, from, from, I mean, I, there's never a time when I ring up and there's not somebody that is, you're, you're helping with some project somewhere. <laughs> and there's an event that's being planned and, and it's, yeah, the lockdown's been quite nice, actually. <laughs> but um, having said that, again, we're just starting to start to get going. I had a meeting, a Zoom meeting this morning. We're, trying to, we're getting very concerned about people who are on their own. You know, it's dark mm-hmm. now. It's a long night if you're yeah. on your own and you've been on your own all day. And Boris says you can't go out or you haven't got to go out much. And even if you do go out, it's cold and wet. You know, it's it's another thing. So, yeah, we're, we're sort of working on that. Which brings us on to this act of simple kindness, which I think is always, that's something that's been instilled in me from, from you two, from mum and dad, is how it doesn't have to be, you know, a no. financial act. It can be simply stopping, calling in to see somebody. You know, I, I've always loved the way within your cul-de-sac People like Phyllis Broadway and Doris Dennison yeah. were always taken care of. You know, those were acts of simple kindness. Come over for Christmas Day, come, yes. come have a drink. Just people looking out for each other. It didn't cost you anything, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Bit of time. Yes, uh, I agree. And again, I just feel that why not is, is my feeling on, you know, we could sit at home and have our Christmas dinner and you think, well, what difference does it make to me? If, mm-hmm. you know, somebody comes Christmas Day, Boxing Day or you lot come or, you know, just get on with it. And I think that's something that's dying out because local pubs are closing and there's yeah. that sense of community generally that people yeah. interact with each other and necessarily see each other. Yeah. So, so yeah, moving from that sort of simple act of kindness, I'm always intrigued in, in the ones that stick out for people that, that are very memorable for them, partly because often they are just a trigger to, yeah, behave that way yourself, to yeah. sort of pay it forward, if you like. So so what was your story around a simple act of kindness that strikes you? Well, the two things, when you, when you made me think about it, it was very difficult because to think, I can't think of anything that was actually life-changing, but you won't remember, but when we were living in the States, we went skiing one Christmas and we went out, for dinner one night and we'd left you we were staying with two of the families the Coens and the miners in an apartment in colorado in steamboat springs and we went out for dinner and just as we were just sort of finishing coffee and getting the bill somebody came tearing into the restaurant and said there's a fire in in ski time square and we tore out and short uh, long story short you lot children were up in the um apartment and there was a fire in the basement and they wouldn't let us in, except the, your dad, being your dad, again, he's always been sort of get up and go and do things. What I didn't know was he was round the other side of the apartment because it was built against a hillside. So because we were on the third floor, you could actually get in from the hillside. He mm. was actually in the, in the apartment, but there were no kids there. So he'd made sure of that. Anyway, long story, we eventually found you in the lobby of an hotel there'd been some construction workers had gone up the babysitter had gone on the balcony and shouted and said she had some children here and she couldn't get them all out and they brought you all down and there you were sat in this hotel lobby you'd been lifted out of bed by a man you'd never seen before in your life carried down into the cold cold night because you know ski time 
And so I said, oh, my God, you know, how are you? And he said, do they do cookies and juice here? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, then okay. we've got this situation. There's three families. We had one, two, three, four, five children between us, none of whom were more than about seven. You were two and we couldn't get back into the apartments because it was a crime scene because somebody had set fire to something under the mm. apartments. And we were sort of, what the hell are we going to do? We were all in the kind of stuff you go out for dinner in. Yeah. The kids were all in their nightclothes. And this guy, and I don't know who he was, and to my shame, really, we never found out, said you can have our room. So all of us slept in this room that night. Incredible. And I don't know what we'd have done otherwise, because, you know. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? And then the next day, we went off to the local pre-mark equivalent and bought gear for the kids, because you all just had your jammers. But yeah. then we did get into the apartment we got the stuff back we were fortunate it hadn't been affected it was um everything was okay and we came home and it was one of those things where we were kind of peripheral to this because the apartment belonged to Judd Miner's company and we were just along for the ride so you weren't in the position that you say we think we need to find out who this guy was you know and, and who were the lads who brought the and Judd just didn't want to know so you know that was it. We just got in the cars and drove home. Yeah, no, no idea who he was. No idea. But it is, it's, um, it's a real sort of testament to, especially when there's a crisis like that, you know, how everybody does rally around. Yes. And I think what we're finding now as well is that one of the things that's coming out of COVID is, is a sense of re-engaging with when you see others in need, when you see people who, who need... I think there is, but I was reading recently that it's sort of dying off, that people are getting a bit... You see, I think I found here that when everybody was locked down, there were a lot of people who were either working from home or furloughed or whatever, got a lot of time. Oh, yes, I can help. But now, of course, they're back to work and... Mm. It's a different, and you know, fair enough, it's a different situation. But they're not prepared to say, well, I could give an hour a week or, yeah. you know, I can take somebody shopping or do something. Yeah. And that's it. No, it's true. And I think that's, that is also something, you know, the whole, the way we are engaging with work, you know, the way people have had to rethink en masse, if you like. Suddenly, we don't all need to get in the car or drive or, or commute on a train to an office well that's that's the other thing i think job, you know? but i think people have realized that there is a sort of balance there that it's it's very nice to just be able to drop out of bed and walk downstairs and turn your laptop on but you don't have any interaction you don't have any the water cooler stuff the and to, yes, just to find that social interaction is actually really Did important. you see what was on the telly last night? My God, have you seen this? Did you, you know, all that stuff? No matter what we think, we can't do it all over Zoom. You know, you no. still need that sense of being able to connect. I think so. I think so. Yes. Mine Zoom, I think, made a hell of a difference. Yeah, I think we were really lucky that oh. it's transformational in terms of, I mean, I know you've had to get up to speed with it, but so many people who it was probably something that would never really enter into their... No, I don't think it... Uh, you know, I can still remember Anna ringing me and said, Mother, have you got Zoom? And I said, and I, what? She said, you've got to get Zoom. What you do is blah, blah, blah. And... But I'm Zooming with Catherine. 
<laughs> right, so, right, so that was your, that. Onto your challenge. But I just, I just think that being a woman in the fifties and sixties in the northeast of England was dire. It was what, absolutely dire. What, yeah. What was, what was particularly challenging? What stood out well, to you? Well, there's just the, this assumption that if you're a girl, you're going to be a teacher or a nurse. And why were we really educating you to eighteen? Because you were just going to get married and have kids. And if you said you want to go to university, well, well, just. You know, what, what, what are you doing that for? And <laughs> again, I think I was quite fortunate because I think my father was quite far looking. I think my mother had that attitude as well. She did. She had that attitude as well, as did Inan Lil. It was just kind of, we went to a girls' school, but this still didn't, there was no inclination to say that you could do anything other than be a teacher or a nurse, basically, you know, and there were about 12 of us doing A-level physics and the teacher who taught physics was appalling because he could get a job in a girls' school because, well, is anybody ever going to do physics? And it was just a, a sort of, a bit of an uphill sort of effort, really. But I think, I don't think it was just in the northeast of England. I think it was, it was all over, you know. They'd had the war, they'd had women had gone into factories and driven ambulances and flown aeroplanes and God knows, but back in your box when you, when they came back from the war. And yeah. of course we were the early fifties and, but so it was just really having to sort of challenge the status quo. Yes. And... It was kind of, yes. And if you want to do science at school, why? Mm. To the extent that when they did the A-level, uh, you know, when you, you sort of choosing your subjects and, what they did was they had us all in the classroom and they had three columns. So you could choose one from each, one subject from each column because that was what fitted in with the timetable and they'd left physics off. <laughs> and we're just sort of sitting there saying, there's chemistry there and there's biology there and there's maths there. What? You see physics? No? Um, excuse me, there's no physics. What do you mean there's no physics? No physics. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and... So, yes, I think other than that, I mean, I I think we were a very fortunate generation. Otherwise, we, you know, there were grants to go to university once you mm. established that you did want to go and to university. And how did you find it, you know, doing pharmacology at university? Was that, were you? I did, of... No, I think we were about even Stevens. Really? Yes, so surprisingly. No, no, you, you weren't sort of the only woman... I think if I'd done physics, I'd have been the only woman in the, the group. No, pharmacy was probably about two thirds, one third. Mm. Not, you didn't sort of feel overwhelmingly. But then you see that the, the university uh, accommodation was based on the girls' boarding school. You know, um, you weren't, because it was a, a campus university, we weren't supposed to go home at weekends. I would leave the campus at weekends. Mm. And we did. But I was fortunate because Joan, cousin Joan, lived in Nottingham. And your dad used to come up from London and we used to go and stay with her. And you, if you didn't try to get in all night, you were fine. If you yeah. tried to get in after midnight, God help you, because, you know, where the hell have you been? And, and the whole, I mean, there was one girl got pregnant and, and my God, when I think about it now, we just accepted. She was chucked out of the, the whole of residence. I mean, and this was 1965. Shocking. 
So how did you find it? How did you find it when you went over to America? And that was, was that really pre sort of Gloria Steinem? um, It was just happening. You got to the States in 1971, is that right? Yes, we went in September 71. And how did you find that contrasted with the UK in terms of women's liberation? And it was weird because you thought, you'd have thought, you see, we, we were, Dad was at Harvard, so you're in a fairly um, liberal-minded sort of situation. But one of his mates, Fred Eckert, he was, oh, my God. Gloria Steinem was the, you know, the the (laughs) she-devil. Oh, and the one thing I really regret was your dad and, and Fred actually went to a talk by Gloria Steinem, and they didn't tell me they were going. Right, right. Or else I'd have been there with them. And there was, you see, you still get it in the States. There's this motherhood and apple pie thing. Yeah. And so, I mean, Harvard Harvard had a Harvard Wives Club. And the whole premise of that was to get you used to the fact that you were going to spend a lot of your life having to do things with your girlfriends because your husband would be off doing far more important things running the world. There were some women in the Harvard class, but not many. And I think that changed quite radically, quite quickly. But when we were there, there weren't many women in the class. But of course, there were all these wives and we did all sorts of other bits and pieces. As you can imagine, I got involved with doing different things. And I couldn't work because it would have taken me as long to get reciprocation as we were going to be there. I'd have had to take about a year and a bit too. Besides, I had you little. So I worked doing daytime babysitting. I did cleaning. Just, your dad was on his British salary and he didn't have to pay tax. So, you know, we were, we were fairly okay. They bought us a car and it was just nice to have a little bit extra. Besides which, I'd been climbing the walls if I hadn't done anything. Yeah. But... It was a strange situation. I mean, I enjoyed the time there, but I didn't want to stay. I didn't, mm. at that time, I didn't want to stay there. It wasn't like you got to America and it's like, oh, there's freedom and liberation. And no, 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 no. Let's go back to the UK and... Uh, and it came back to the UK and it was no better. Well, that you had bucked the trend and you went to university and you had your own capacity to earn your own living, which I think yes. for your generation was actually... It was quite unusual. Yeah, it was still yeah. really, as you say, there was this element of once you got married, you maybe stopped working. It was assumed that you would stop working. And I think it took... In the 50s, you had to. In a yeah. lot of jobs, you weren't allowed to keep on working. Yeah, you were at the shoulder of that sort of... More so before the war, but it still sort of hung on. And there was this element of... So I guess in a way, the, the way you overcame that challenge was just to refused to acknowledge it was just to refuse to yes i i mean i found i'll say it's been quite it was quite interesting you set me thinking a lot of the time you just don't think about it you just got your head down and got on with it you know it's kind of i mean we talk about it now you know when um we do do quizzes and talk about the the music of the 80s and i think the 80s it's just a blur (laughs) (laughs) the 80s It was the eighties, yes. I, I don't remember much about it. Well, and it wasn't it wasn't this thing about, you know, if you if you can remember the seventies, you weren't you know, you weren't on drugs. It was just I had four kids, you had a job, you had doing all st- st- stuff in the village. And 
it just woof, suddenly it was 1996. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's interesting that we were talking about music because that, that will bring us nicely on to your, um, I've asked everybody, because I think, I think music is such a universal language and there's often, you know, people have great stories around. I wanted to bring a little element of that storytelling into into the podcast. Well, I could have come up with, and as everybody on Does the Darling Disc says, you know, you could come up with, you've got eight, you could come up with 80. The Bonnie mm. Tyler one was the, you must remember, driving around France. Yeah. Yes. Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. That was probably 1984, 1985. I wouldn't like to put an exact date on it. Might but. have been slightly later than that. But anyways, that was in the 80s. Yes. That one is the one that um, sort of stood out as, you know, we used to play it and everybody was singing along to it and, and what have you. Yes, yeah. And that was that was probably, yeah, very happy memories of great family mm. holidays. We used to go going camping in Brittany, just sort of yes. down the, the coast. Yeah. The west coast of France, yeah, a little bit further south each year, and yeah, I always associate for you was there was less in terms of housework. You know, it was it was really time off. It was a proper. It was back in the days where people just took two weeks holiday, two weeks in the summer, and it was yeah. a proper break from all the routines. There was no there was no house to clean up. It was just yeah, a tent. And, and that was why I preferred camping. To having a having a house, to be perfectly honest, because with camping you just shook the the ground sheet and yeah. shook the sleeping bags, and that was it. But yeah, I think we had some good holidays. We had some both in camping and and houses. And you remember the the one in the Pyrenees where Ruth and Anna broke the, the hook on. The... Yeah, there was always something broken. We had to. We had to quickly try and fix it God. parents saw it. And yeah. we weren't, it turned out we weren't very, very good as children at fixing things. Or well, not as good as we thought we were. <laughs> lots, of, lots of fixing hooks with chewing gum. And uh, and then you, you mentioned Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. What's the, only the-, one that, the only reason that I picked that particular one was, again, going back to my 70th birthday. I don't know whether you remember with that wonderful party that you organised my, my birthday, but on my actual birthday, or thereabouts, your dad and I went up, we went up to London, it wasn't my birthday, it was our golden wedding, we went up to London, and I'd been, at, just before we went, I'd been out somewhere, and your dad, I came in, and your dad said, I've managed to get tickets for the proms, again, we had the lovely family party with you, and then your dad and I went up to London, and I think it was actually the weekend of our golden wedding, and the one of the pieces was Beethoven's Ninth with a choir of 200. Wow. Which, you know, it's the choral. And mm. it was absolutely stunning. You know, you can listen to the record, but just seeing it with all those people singing their little hearts out. <laughs> and uh, it was just serendipity. He'd, he'd gone online and didn't think for a minute he'd be able even to get tickets, much less... And the, the programme was lovely, but it was the Beethoven's Ninth that just stood out. That, that, um, and that was, so that was why I chose that one. I mean, I could have chosen umpteen pieces of music. That I, I find all of Beethoven, you know, it, it's all, it, it has transcended time. And yeah, oh, uh, you know, so Beethoven's lovely. Fifth, Beethoven's Sixth. Yeah. It was, yeah. And, it, and as I say, I mean, Mozart, Mozart's clarinet concerto, I think, is one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever but it was just that that night 
it was just wonderful. It was just, just seeing them. It was just brilliant. Nice memory. And yeah, I'm really pleased that there's some Beethoven on the playlist. So thanks for that. And so the end of the podcast, I'm asking everyone to put a little piece of a little nugget or a pearl of wisdom into my treasure chest. And the one thing that you said you would like to share is is how important it is to prioritize. Just prioritize and masterly inactivity. I prioritize, yes. I think use of time. If you've you know, if you if you've got things to do, you've got to look and say, that has got to be done by today. That that and that can wait till next week. There's no point saying, I'm gonna do this, and then thinking, oh my God, that should have been done yesterday. So you've got to <laughs> You've got to say, like we did Remembrance Day on Sunday. You can't do Remembrance Day next Sunday. No. <laughs> it's like planning yes. weddings. You can't have the wedding, you know, you can't have the most wonderful DJ in the world who can't actually turn up on the day. But you've got to have, my, my sort of recipe for time management is to, to look at what do you have to do and get that done. Yeah. And then the other bits, yes, You'll hopefully get them done in time. But a lot of things, it doesn't, you know, they're not so time important. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I come to masterly and activity. There's a lot of things that seem to be a problem. If you just, you know, you look at it and some things, you think, yes, I've got to do something about that. And there's others you think, I'll just leave that. I think that'll sort itself out. And if it hasn't sorted itself out in the next week, well, I'll address it again. But... Quite a lot of times, dealing with your father particularly, masterly inactivity, don't, don't do anything. And then suddenly the problems all go away. It's all gone away anyway, yeah. Yeah. I, and it's, I couldn't agree more that, that quite often one, one way of helping you to prioritise is to, is to just leave some of those really... Well, it's, it's part and part of the same thing, yes. There are certain things you look at and think, masterly inactivity, just, let's just not do anything for the next... Might only be for the next couple of hours. It might be for the next couple of days. It might be the next couple of weeks. Just leave it, and you know it'll probably sort itself out. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great advice. Somebody rings me and says somebody hasn't cut their hedge or something like this. I think, well, it'll why don't you just wait for a couple of weeks and they probably are going to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's it. And 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 the, the the wisdom really comes in knowing the difference between the things that's. That, Give me the, the strength to change things I can change and the uh, tolerance to accept the things that I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference. Choose your battles. Yeah. And I love that you've brought up time management as your piece of wisdom because I think it's so yes. insightful. For people who, who get a lot done in life, there is this element of one of the best recipes for succeeding is do a little and often, you know, yeah. and consistently the way you have built communities around the, the charity shop is a perfect example. You know, a hundred thousand pounds has been raised, but just by consistently doing the same thing week yeah. in, week out, you didn't even know at the beginning whether it would fold within the first six months. But, no, I got the know, parish council to underwrite it. Yeah. Bringing that yeah. element of just keep practicing, keep. I think that, and I think also I read something a, while, a long while ago about, about gardening, about don't think that you've got to get your boots on and get, you know, all your gear on and go out to do a day's gardening. Just think, 
if I went out for 20 minutes, I could just cut that tree back or something. Mm. And, you know, don't be put off by the fact you haven't got all day, but do just do a little something. Well, I, I think, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that advice. That's, that's amazing for, for somebody who has, who has consistently been able to spin lots of plates, achieve a lot. Yeah. Just amazing. So listen, thank you so much for joining me and it's been really lovely to have you on the show. See you soon. Lots of love. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.